0: Season one of Rising Stars of SaaS is brought to you by Pipe SaaS Companies. This is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com/twist. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OurCrowd.com slash twist. And Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot slash twist.
1: Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new series we're doing here on This Week in Startups. Everybody knows what SaaS is, um, and we are doing a series on software as a service, cloud computing, some people will refer to as basically it's software that exists in the cloud. And SaaS generally connotes business software, although we might touch on some consumer SaaS here, we're going to try to stay focused on business to business software. In other words, software that helps solve an acute business problem. And the nature of SaaS that we'll explore during this um, series, a 10 part series, is that it reduces cost, it reduces the installation time, and you don't have updates coming at you all the time. And typically the pricing is either much more fair or it is, uh, in addition to being more fair, it is consumption-based in some way could be consumption based on how much work you do in the system, how many purchase orders you do, how many documents are scanned or signed, or it could be consumption based based on how many users are using the platform, i.e. something like Slack, which only charges you for active users. And another uh, interesting feature of SaaS software is because it's lower cost, because it's available to be installed and used immediately. In other words, you don't have to set up a server. You don't have to install software. Many of you never even lived in a world where that existed. Uh, in addition to that, the switching costs tend to be lower because you don't need to sign a multi year lease on the software. You don't have to have some big upfront cost. You just start using it. If you like it, you expand, you land and expand. that sort of the definition of SaaS for those of you who don't know. And it's created quite a revolution. And SaaS startups tend to be much easier to get to break even and much easier to uh, get to monetization because. You only need one person to need this software who's willing to pay you $10,000 a month to pay the salaries of you and your co-founder or your you know, modest draw and keep the lights on. Compare that to trying to make a Snapchat competitor uh, or a meditation app or whatever it happens to be, or in any advertising-based business for that matter. So many founders you'll see will pivot from building a consumer app to going enterprise, it's almost like a trope. It's almost like a funny pattern that we all laugh about, which is as an investor, you might have that moment when the founder says, you know what, I tried consumer for 18 months, it didn't work. Uh, But we have two customers who are willing to pay us $100,000 a year, we're going to just move to that to keeping the lights on. Now, what's the downside? Why wouldn't everybody just make this software? Um, It tends to be a little bit more boring to build business to business software. So you need uh, to have a very customer focus on a very unique set of customers and enjoy building that. Um, And you don't become famous. I'll make it that simple. You know, somebody builds a Tesla, and you get to drive a car, you're going to become famous. Somebody builds the drivetrain or the battery pack for a Tesla, nobody ever knows that um, customer. So many founders will choose to do consumer because let's face it, they want to interact with a large group of consumers. In fact, we had the Nicola uh, founder on who was building basically business to business trucks uh, to to do uh, shipping of beer for Anheuser-Busch or whoever it was. Uh, And then he said explicitly, I want to start a pickup truck so that I can sell into the Robin Hood traders, a famous disturbing weird quote from that episode that uh, got a lot of speculation. So anyway, that's the series that we're going to start. And I'm really excited about today's because it's very close uh, to my family. And in fact, the guests families, it is really about um, saving people's lives. and and I And I say that with a lot of experience in this space. And a very specific understanding of the difference between one or two minutes in response time for emergency services. And emergency services system started here in the United States in the late 60s when they decided instead of people running to a call box. There were literally call boxes. I remember in my youth in Brooklyn that uh, some kids, some bad kids would go to the call box and press the button. I'm not saying I was one of those kids, but kids would do stuff like that. And every five or six blocks in the city was a call box. And when there was an emergency, we'd say, go find a call box. This is before we had phones in our pockets, call boxes in our pockets. And that led to... Uh, A group of people, uh, senators, congressmen, uh, building the 911 system, uh, which was designed because nobody was using the area code 911, and because it was easy to remember, and they wanted to have a single number that everybody in America and eventually Canada deployed the same number system, thinking that might become a global standard. 911 Uh, and AT and T at the time um, decided uh, the bells decided that they would support this, and now we live in a world where 96 percent or so, uh, according to my research, of America. Americans and Canadians are covered by some level of the 911 system but it has been updated twice in its existence uh, according to today's guest and his name is Steve Roucher and he is the CEO co-CEO and founder uh, and co-founder I believe of
2: Rapid Deploy. Welcome to the pod, Steve. Thank you. So it's Co-founder and CEO. (laughs) Co-founder
1: and CEO. I always try to get that right. My (laughs) notes said co-CEO and founder, and I just thought, that's probably wrong. Uh, Let me make sure I ask. Sometimes that happens. There's a mistake in the notes, but not often because my researchers know that if they make a mistake, I will talk about it for eight minutes on the staff meeting. Um, And I just got my eight eight minutes for this week. Um, So uh, you heard my little preamble about the 911 system. The 911 system, uh, born in the late 60s here in the United States, Really didn't even have mass adoption, you know, fit more than 50% adoption until the 80s. People used to write the phone number of the local police department or the local fire department or the local uh, ambulance uh, crew on their refrigerator, correct?
2: Yeah. And um, in some parts of the world, that's still the way business is done. So you're uh, kidding. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, in South Africa, where we started, um, on every person's fridge I'll ever go to will be the number of your local responding agencies. And some of those are volunteer, like in Cape Town, where we started. Uh, and in fact, um, our CTO, the the OG, the original founder yeah. of Rapid Deploy, volunteers for the very service whose number was on my fridge in Cape Town. Uh, so it's very mm-hmm. local and, uh, you know. Countries around the world have adopted nine 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 as opposed to nine and nine one one, or in Europe one one two is the uh, the common number. So there's very little standardization across well, across the world. Uh,
1: here's a stupid question: Why don't all those numbers just route to the same place at this point? Like if we know people from Europe traveling to America, people from. Cape Town traveling to America and vice versa might dial one one two, nine 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 or nine one one. Why don't they all just resolve to the same place? I mean I I hate to be the the stupid kid in the class giving a brilliant solution on a global basis, but I certainly I'm not the only person who came up with this simple, simple concept of all three numbers work all three places.
2: Well, if you dial nine one one in Europe, you will get your local one one two center. It depends on where you are and the routing rules that are associated with it. But I mean that is yeah, that's beyond my wheelhouse. I'm not in the networking (laughs) side.
1: Going to go ahead and say, next time you give a keynote at an emergency conference, you go ahead and <laughs> fly that one up the flagpole, so if anybody salutes. Yeah. Um, so, um, you make uh, a service to help enhance nine one one, but give us the state of the nine one one system today, uh, the legacy system. What is the the attributes of what the legacy system can do and can't do and what percentage of people maybe you can start with that are mm-hmm. covered by the legacy systems yeah. in the so, united states we'll start with the united states since obviously yeah, I it's obviously uh, easier
2: context yeah. that's where the main thrust of our business is at the moment um so, it's, I'll tell you what, it's not. It's not minority report, right? So, it's okay. not yes. these, uh, these screens. Uh, no AR to,
1: uh, and, glo- and smart gloves. Got it. Okay. No, okay, no
2: <laughs> smart gloves. And also, there's not a lot of um, uh, interconnected um, systems and agencies. Um, the vast majority of the telephony component of the 911 system is highly analog. Um, there, are, there are large efforts underway now. To convert those into IP-based systems, but you know the integration. Even there are seven thousand nine and one centers, give or take, in the United States, and with po- possibly a- an exception of less than uh, less than twenty, those systems uh, integrate via um, spilling a ASCII file of five hundred twelve cal- kilobits into a serial cable, and that's how the your location might might travel downstream.
1: Okay, so it's basically analog, which means. Uh, the data being sent is being sent in um, a little compressed ASCII file, it doesn't have a lot of bandwidth, and then it's got to be reinterpreted. What does an IP-based system, what are the benefits of that?
2: Well, we don't uh, solve for the, the telephony component. But if you can imagine, that is the major point of ingress in the 911 system today. If you think about how 911 was processed, Let's go five years back, it's a phone call in, and it's like a a radio walkie-talkie call out to the the responding agencies. And we're now in a world, as you know, which is everybody's connected. Uh, We can consume location, uh, real-time location from an an iOS or an Android phone directly into our platform. So suddenly we're getting IOT signals, telematics, uh, like pinpoint location accuracy, but the system itself wasn't designed to consume this or the designs that are in place don't have the downstream uh, systems to connect. uh, So you have essentially
1: two locations, right? You have the location of my smartphone, if I'm calling on that. Yep. Um, And if I called on my home phone, you would know where that phone, I guess, in some registry or according to some telephony system,
2: where it was. That's well. There's actually three locations if you think of it like that. So what you have in the traditional nine one one system, you have um, the wired um, database of all wired addresses. So from your mm-hmm. home phone, there'd be a database that the system would look up while it's routing to nine one one. And then in the in the mid eighties, when cell phones became prevalent in the states, um, there was a a hack. Uh, to, to to solve for now, you know, mobile signals and how would they w- work out exactly where those were, and that was by triangulation across um, across cell towers, right? Mm. And it only really got very sophisticated in the last few years, where um, Apple and Google switched on their EED and ELS services, respectively, in America, which is the supplemental handset location. Which is um, taken
1: from GPS, I take it.
2: Which is taken. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a hybrid location, which um, GPS is obviously a major component, but both Apple and Google have their own secret source to give you the exact Which is location. Wi-Fi routers,
1: yeah. right? They know the location of Wi-Fi routers or public Wi-Fi routers, and they kind of triangulate around that. Yeah, we get, uh, from what I understand, is that correct?
2: Yeah. Device-based hybrid locations is what they call it, right?
1: Device-based hybrid location. Fancy way of saying, we know if you ping this router, we know where that router is. We know where your cell phone towers are, and we know where your GPS is. So we got you eight ways to Sunday, which is why sometimes when you're at an airport, it knows your location really well because it knows the Wi-Fi routers in the airport. And even if you don't connect to those Wi-Fi routers, it knows you passed by them and tried to connect.
2: Is that correct? Um, it's my understanding, look, I, I yeah. don't, um, yeah. I, you know, I don't look under the hood of uh, the operating systems of the cell that, phones. That's my
1: understanding is that they they do that. When we get back on this quick break, I want to know what um, is the fault, because I was actually, I did work for a volunteer service, Bravo, in Bar- Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I did work as a dispatcher there and then eventually on the ambulance itself. And when I was a dispatcher, there was a huge issue of uh, telephone, literal telephone and the figurative telephone where a call would come in. Or the ambulance would pick somebody up and they had vitals that they needed me to tell to the emergency room of who was coming in and what was their condition. And I had to write it down on a piece of paper and get that information back and forth from all parties. We'll talk about how that has evolved uh, when we get back on This Week in Startups. SaaS companies with reoccurring revenue used to have only two ways to grow, equity or debt. In other words, they could take investment from a venture capital firm or they could get a loan debt. Now there's a brand new third way to grow without debt or dilution, and that's Pipe. Pipe is a two-sided marketplace that connects SaaS companies, software as a service companies, that have monthly or quarterly reoccurring revenue with institutional investors who bid to purchase these revenues for their annual value upfront. It's like the NASDAQ, but built for software contracts. This is a new category that's never been done before. Pipe is the smartest way to grow your business, and it's super founder-friendly. With Pipe, there's no debt, no loans, and no dilution. So if you have all that revenue for the next year, why not get that money up front and put it on the marketplace, see what happens. Pipe is so frictionless and completely transparent. It only takes a couple of minutes to sign up, and you'll have cash in the bank within 24 hours. Pipe is so confident you'll love trading your SaaS subscriptions that if you sign up by the end of October, they'll eliminate all your trading fees for one full year. This could save you tens of thousands of dollars depending on the size of your business and the volume you trade. So happy piping. Sign up today at pipe.com. What a great domain name slash twist. Once again, that's pipe.com slash twist. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, welcome back to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, and this is our rising stars of SaaS, software as a service. I gave you a little preamble at the beginning of what SaaS is. I think you get it really well. Uh, And today, we've got a perfect guest to kick off the series. Steve Roucher uh, is the CEO and co-founder of Rapid Deploy, uh, a startup which has a a very personal meaning, which we'll get into, and and personal... um, Importance to Steve Um, and We left off talking a little bit about What I had to you know my role when I was a dispatcher was to sort of um, Translate this information, but of course some things get lost in translation obviously the tone of somebody's voice obviously um, uh, There is a, a time delay, so I'm curious where are we with you know, the sort of live nature of these calls. Um, I know that there were some experimentation. I don't know if your company is doing it, but once the call is coming in, uh, we have now the location of the person. We know what yes. kind of smartphone they're on, I assume. Um, yes. we And uh, we might know something about that place because there are maps of all type, types now. Uh, so a map is there. But also, uh, a police officer, an ambulance, or a fire truck now has. Uh, a computer in the dashboard or a laptop on a mount we see them all the time uh, and i understand now there's some live dispatching so if a police officer was near a, um, you know i don't know uh, a domestic disturbance uh, or a property crime they could actually listen in to the call and hear the dispatcher talking to a person um, or multiple units an ambulance could listen into a police one. A police could be listening into an ambulance one and see if there is need for extra help. Um, is that something you guys have deployed yet? Is that something that's at deployed? And then w- what happens once the call comes in?
2: So so that's been uh, deployed um, upstream of us. That's uh, a call handling component that, um, of the solution where they can actually um, loop in the first responders um, coming on scene. But where we really assist that situational awareness component you know, we can ingest the uh, live videos straight from a caller, so you can send them a, you know, a short link, switch on a WebRTC session, and stream in real time um, the feed coming from their cell phone. Imagine you know they might you know, be pointing at a burning building or might, God forbid, be an active shooter scenario, and suddenly you've got maybe six callers coming in, and we can aggregate that video and, and pass that to the first responder in real time, so they know what they're rolling into.
1: That and exists in the world today?
2: Yeah. So,
1: just so I understand how this happens, because I I have never even seen a demo of that, or anybody I've uh, never experienced it. Thankfully, but um, I'm on the phone with nine one one. They say, "Hey, I just SMSed you a link. Yep. Click it and show me a video of what you're experiencing. Stay on the phone." Yeah, is that what happens? That's what happens in our system. Wow! And is that yeah. currently in use in any jurisdictions? And what has um, how long has it been in use? And are there any? Specific instances where it's had some dramatic effect.
2: So we um, we rolled out that feature recently to a fire service in Arizona. I can't speak whether they um, how much they've used that. What we did in California, where you live, which is maybe mm. more relevant for you, and you were speaking about, um, you know, we know what kind of cell phone is calling nine one one. We rolled up the entire um, state of California on our mapping platform, which has embedded two way texting, uh, which was switched on. You know, and you spoke about the power of SAS uh, a year into the contract, COVID hit, and the head of California 911 called me and said, Steve, you know, there's domestic violence in the uptick. How can we silently communicate with callers? And as a SaaS feature, we're like, we enabled that overnight, and the whole oh. California had the ability to uh, be able to have a, a text conversation with a caller. And and another thing you raised was like dynamic sentiment scoring, also live translation. So bringing all of these kind of you know enterprise and consumer tech into the nine hundred one system to be able to have that real time communication, translation, sentiment um, identification.
1: Okay, so let me just break this down and give an example. There's a a, somebody is experiencing uh, domestic violence, and being on the phone. Uh, You can be overheard. So somebody could call 911 and they say, listen, uh, you know, this person's attacking me in my home. And the person says, would you prefer to chat? I can send you a text link or I've sent you a text link if you want to chat, if that's safer for you. Yep. Uh, Rather than the person kicking down the uh, bathroom door uh, and and murdering you, God forbid. So you could have that text come up and the person can text with the 911 operator.
2: That's correct. And also, you know, for a wow. 911 hang-up, which is more typical in a domestic violence situation, so you have someone dial 911, and then they put the phone down, with the fact that we have hyper-local uh, location um, available to us, if it's from a, a cell phone, we can tell that's a residential address. And so, you know, the, a trained 911 uh, telecommunicator can very easily work out, like, this, the, the, the highly probable that this is a domestic abuse situation, a domestic violence situation. And they can start with, we just noticed a you know, text message from you. Do you want to write back to me? And can Oh, go from wow.
1: There. So yeah. we know from statistics, a 911 yeah. call that gets hung up uh, or they call 911 and they just hear some background noise for 30 seconds and then it hangs up or something. Yeah. Could be indicative of a domestic violence situation. So they text, Absolutely. then the person can call back. Wow, that's, that's an incredible... Uh, that's an incredibly clever solution to to a horrible problem um, yeah. so what about the on scene and multiple agency part? you did sort of indicate that there is an issue of multiple systems mm-hmm. uh, so when you come into um you know a specific location if you were to come into California, would you be coming into the the entire state is it run is nine one one run as the entire state of California or is it run as the bay area versus The Los Angeles area, or is it down to Santa Monica versus Venice versus, you know, LA County? You know, how granular are these 911 services run today?
2: So there's 440 911 centers in California. And we just, finished ro- yeah, we just finished rolling them out, so I know. <laughs> okay, now wait a second. Are all they all up, yeah. under
1: government jurisdiction, or are
2: they on the local, or is it some hybrid system? Explain to me how California does this. Um, so California um, um, centrally manages all 911 via the Cal OES, which is the California Office of Emergency Services. Okay, that's great, right? That's good yeah. to have it centralized? Yeah, I, I would yeah, certainly, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's an. I tell you what's very interesting. If we unpack the dynamic of centralized nine on one, and also and combine that with like a lesson in SaaS, why yeah. nine on one and SAS are like unbelievable bedfellows. It's because nine on one is basically funded by um, by your phone bill, whether it's wireline or wireless, depending on where you live, right? And you know we know by population density that the you know the bigger the population, the bigger your nine one service and the more number of calls you'll have, and you'll have more responding agencies so by us meeting agencies like this and realizing that they are funded directly in a you know in this linear graph to to the size of their population, which is in turn drives their funding model like SaaS is the perfect solution for a government agency like this right
1: so you can charge i assume california by the number of um nodes on the network the number of phone numbers or de- or uh, people paying
2: for that service right so we can charge for like with the number of call taking positions or in dispatch positions in a 911 center ah
1: which is a proxy for the number of people exactly um, who are calling in but then does that create a a strange incentive, because I was, you know, are interested in incentives here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if you if you make California more efficient and they can lower the number of dispatchers, or a dispatcher can service more people, mm-hmm. or if you increase the amount of time, uh conversely, um your SaaS bill would go up. So if you do your job and you make it more efficient in one way, efficiency defined by you need less operators. That's one form of efficiency. It might not be the right form in this case, but if you lower the number, you get paid less. And if you were to increase the number of, of viewers and increase call length, which might actually res- have better outcomes, in other words, less domestic violence, or because the person's on the phone with them longer, it seems like actually th- the SMS message you send would increase the amount of time it would take because you might then get into an hour-long text thread with somebody and an important text thread. Um, so how do you deal with that incentive, and how do you charge today?
2: So, I mean, that's a really great question. And, uh, and then we can go down a rabbit hole on incentives because there's some really weird- I know, let's uh, do weird. it. It's such a great conversation. <laughs> I mean- it's, it's a great thing. Incentives matter. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, I find incentives, incentives really
1: fascinating. Really matter, yeah. It's like really yeah. fascinating. So how do you charge today? Yeah. Let's start with so that. So
2: we charge, we charge by seat in a nine one center, okay. but concurrent seats, and this is a big thing, because the legacy vendors, right? So these typical old school CapEx projects, which we saw in enterprise and got killed by the, you know, um, all the modern uh, SaaS software that happens in enterprise today, that still continues in, in, in GovTech and largely in public safety as well. Okay. So this notion that um, I need a, a, you know, a primary site and a backup site. And they charge for double the licensing because they have ah. to have both sites. Whereas, uh, you know, we believe, and firstly, we're a very mission driven business. And I think we'll probably get into that in a bit. But yeah. because we're a mission driven business, we're trying to solve for the most efficient experience, right? And like, we don't just think of the customer as the state. Authority that's paying our bill. I think of the customer as the victim who's calling nine one one because that's ultimately what you're trying to solve for. And the other customer is the first responder. And how do we protect them with better situational awareness and context right. of what they're actually? But their, a, uh, on arriving. a dollar
1: basis, the customer is the government and the number of concurrent seats, uh, which means you were able to come in and I'm guessing demolish the legacy systems and costs. When we get back from this quick break, I want to know about your personal uh, connection to all of this and uh, what the legacy, you know, beating the legacy systems as a SaaS company, since this is the stars of SaaS, I want to know how you beat the legacy systems and what that RFP process is like going up against an incumbent when we get back on the sweet startups. While the global pandemic has created economic uncertainty, many companies are innovating and solving problems, you know that, and that creates awesome opportunities for early-stage investors like me. As value creation continues to shift from the public to the private markets, our crowd believes you deserve access to early-stage investments in fast-growing companies. That's why our crowd has launched the Pandemic Innovation Fund, which invests in the companies solving these new challenges with solutions like vaccines and testing, tools for remote learning, and even food security innovations. Our crowd is giving all accredited investors a seat at the table. They've already helped thousands of investors get access to companies that have IPO'd, like Beyond Meat, or that have been bought by companies like Intel, Microsoft, and Oracle. And those are the two ways you make money as an early stage investor, an IPO, or the company gets bought. Those are the two most common ways. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at our crowd, O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash twist. That's right, rcrowd.com slash twist and review their current deals with no payment involved until you decide to invest. As you review deals, you'll have access to rcrowd's investor relations team, who you can access directly to talk about your personal investment goals. The investment team at rcrowd has already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. Accredited investors can participate for as little as $10,000 or in one of our crowds funds, like the pandemic innovation fund for as little as $50,000. So go to rcrowd.com slash twist for a free account. That's O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, rising stars of SAS episode one of 10. It's going to be a great series already. We're talking about the nuances of SAS. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of human um, components to this i know people who are in the service uh of saving lives it is always very personal um my grandfather a firefighter my brother a firefighter my uncle a cop cousin a cop two other cousins in uh let's just say uh federal law enforcement i'll leave it at that uh so we got a we got a irish family filled with service uh uh, in firefighting and police in law enforcement, uh, which informs a little bit of my thinking about the world. I'll be honest, um, but you you have a personal connection to this, Steve. You were a banker, I believe, for twenty years. Uh, you left South Africa uh, to go to London and make some bank in banking, as one does. Uh, but you had some personal yeah. tragedy, and and I know uh, yeah. the, that I you've mean, talked about it before. Years. Yeah, yeah, not not years. the personal tragedy of working in banking for twenty years, too, yeah. to be clear.
2: <laughs> well. My karma restoration yeah. project is still ongoing, so um, <laughs> we, we know about that, right? So, I, I,
1: and, I, and I laugh because uh, you're so self-aware of this, uh, and I have heard you on some other podcasts or other videos that your company has produced in my research, and, and I've watched you kind of lament your 20 years in banking. Uh, but well, this is personal for you. Let's get into it.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, like I would also argue that the 20 years in banking kind of prepared me for this journey as well. There was, awesome. Yeah. You know, um, well, you know- actually in interesting ways uh, there were there was parts of my journey in banking when I built my own systems and realized I could disrupt my competitors by building my own options pricing models and suddenly knowing that you know number one is not always number one forever if you have better technology it's actually it's a huge game changer and you know when i when i met uh, when I met brett I, i'd realized that and Brett's the original founder who built the initial system mm. but how I got on this journey um uh, in 06, I, I lost my brother to a drowning accident in Cape Town, uh, just very near where I have my holiday house in Cape Town, near where I grew up. And uh, in 2015, I took time out uh, tw- after capping a 20-year career in, in investment banking. I was like, I've got to go back to my roots, take my kids, get the feel of Africa under their feet. And uh, as soon as I arrived there, I realized I now have time on my hands and uh, I wanted to do something to honor the Men and women who had been volunteering on the National Sea Rescue Institute, which is um, a completely volunteer-based organisation that helps offshore rescue in South Africa. So it's the equivalent of the Royal Lifeboats in um, in the UK. Uh, I don't think there's quite an American equivalent. We
1: we don't have that. I mean, we have lifeguards, of course, um, and we have the Coast Coast Guard. Guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we don't have a volunteer service yeah. like this there might be on some lakes or something like that but uh you know growing up in cape town you, you grow up on the water and you grow yeah. up kind of like the water is a big part of the of your life correct is so, my understanding
2: 100 yeah, yeah i mean yeah. i grew up i remember the first time i went to london and i couldn't see the sea and i couldn't work out who would have a, a major city without an ocean I just you know, doesn't make so, sense it <laughs> doesn't yeah, computer. Co- but also completely.
1: as beautiful as the oceans are there uh they're they're there is a respect you have to have for those oceans. Those oceans are particularly, uh, I mean, historically known as, as the most dangerous oceans in the world, coming around yeah. that Cape. Is it called Cape Horn? The Cape, yeah, around? cape of
2: Storms. So it's called Storm. the Cape of Storms, right? So yeah. the Cape of Good Hope was notorious for wrecking many merchant uh, yeah. ships uh, over the centuries.
1: And your brother went out for a swim and uh, he just... T- yeah t- he went out for a-
2: uh, there's also notorious wind in Cape Town the sea is also frighteningly cold it looks great in photos it's Instagram friendly but like yeah. super cold and right. um anyway he got into some some difficulty swimming offshore and it took a while to I mean, for for that to all trickle down and get the response going and um yeah and he I realized he went
1: out alone for one day for a swim
2: yeah he like he, he swam in a Bay nobody swims at and, uh, ah. you know, they might dip their feet in, the, but no one tries to swim across this particular bay unless you really know what you're doing. So, right. uh, but the, the point of that was, you know, I, I up back in Cape town and I know that uh, these men and women who are volunteers, they, they have to go, you know, if it's an unsuccessful rescue like it was for my brother, you can imagine just normal people have normal jobs in nine to five and suddenly they have to go, you know, pull a body from the bottom of um, of the ocean and, and and do all that and the kind of the trauma associated with that is uh, nothing can prepare you for right and it is I went, uh, hmm? yeah
1: it, it's it's one of the life-changing experiences you can have as emergency service person the first time you get called to a call that you know ends in a death and i you know every single person you've talked to who works on an ambulance or in any volunteer or firefighter they can tell you in detail about that first time and i could tell you my mine as well and you know it's it, i wouldn't say it haunts me to this day but it is something i've carried with me for 30 years of my life since i've watched somebody you know, pass uh, or, you know, wasn't able to, in this case, resuscitate somebody who, you know, was having a heart attack and who was very old, but, you know, did CPR on them. And it is a it is a traumatic experience for sure. Uh, and you mean just uh, think about that job, think about that work that people do to go and try to help somebody in that moment. It's just, it's, it really is, it takes a tremendous fortitude as an individual. Right.
2: And we could expand on that and say, you know, it's unbelievable if you think about your 911, the first person you speak to when they, you know, take your 911 call. Yeah. I mean they they've had literally thousands of those. And yeah. only recently, just in California now in the last few weeks, they got recognized as first responders before they were um classified as as clerks or admin. And you the can imagine listening- Yeah,
1: yeah. Which is ridiculous. I mean the dispatchers are such a critical role in this. The dispatchers are negotiating, you know, the where to who to send and then where to send them to and then communicating all these services in the back end it's there 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 are the conductor of this orchestra of yeah. services w- whether to deploy a helicopter or a boat or firefighters i mean it is or talking loved through
2: CPR, right? I mean, like oh, it's yes, just it gets really hands on and they, uh, yeah. hands on. I mean, there's a, a anyway, I, like we're going down another rabbit hole, which uh, I so can kind talk of the about point of the show. But I mean, yeah, okay, listen, good, just good. To, to
1: to put a note in it, I'm very sorry about your brother. And then, to to do something this meaningful for with the rest of your life, as opposed to trading options, which you you know uh, are pretty self aware of, is you know like a video game, right? I mean, yeah. to, com- uh, Compare and contrast waking up every day and going to work for the for the audience who is wondering about what they should do with their life's purpose you're you're now in i guess the the you know the third half of your life like me the importance of finding something that you wake up every day and and the passion you have for this versus maybe the level of passion you had for you know playing the the options video game as it were
2: yeah so uh, i mean the options video game i just wanted to win Right, I mean that was pretty much, and you could only measure your wins and losses by your P and L, by how much money you made. And you could let one, me personally, I always say that I, I created nothing other than revenue in those first twenty years of my life. Obviously, uh, a lot of experience that I have garnered over the years, but certainly, if my kids asked me what I would do for a living, I would have to tell them I, you know. Dad talks a lot on the telephone and, you know, and gets paid. I mean, that's right. like the sum total of of uh, my net contribution to society. And when I went to, so I landed up volunteering at that agency in Cape Town, right? Wow. And I, The same one that had tried to rescue your brother. The same crew and boat that had gone to try to rescue my brother. So I literally wow. went up to their door and I said, what do you need? Do you need money or people? They said, we need people. And I said, I volunteer. And I started wow. that's heavy. Know, the next Saturday. Yeah, wow. but what is more interesting is about three days after that was their first, well, it was my first monthly meeting every first Wednesday of the month. All the volunteers at that particular station got together. And there were about 20 people who'd been coming there for between 20 and 30 years, like wow. every weekend, volunteering. Giving and up their weekends. So they work, up, these are I mean,
1: people, to be clear, who are putting in their 40, 50 hours a week. And then yeah. in the small amount of time they have a week left, They're getting on a boat to go rescue people who are drowning.
2: Yeah. extraordinary. uh, I mean, as a guy who grew up in like five different Swiss banks between London and New York, to hear people talk about volunteering their time like this was like a a total moment for me in realizing that there was so much more to my life than how many toys I could accumulate. Mm. And
1: And the high score in, I mean, basically you're trying to get a high score in banking. So for young people listening, do something meaningful with your life that also could result in a high score. These are not two disparate things, correct? You, you well, can- I mean, th-
2: there's there's two opinions I have on this. One is even when I was in banking, I would I'd be sitting in the city of London, and I'd have all these Oxford grads with a double major in you know physics and chemistry coming and trying to get a job on a trading floor. And even then, I would say, listen, guys, I don't care what you say to me in this interview. I'm not hiring you. Go, go, you know. Go fix cancer. Like, yeah, the, the the brain drain within the financial community is just, uh, you know, it's, it's terrible how that's kind of siphoned off the best of the best. And I think it's maybe re- redressed now and maybe consumer internet is having its moment, taking the best of the best out of there. But, uh, I think a, a mission driven oh, business. Interesting. Like yeah, yeah, no. If you're
1: Facebook or Google and you're printing right. money at the velocity they're printing money, you literally have people who have PhDs in computer vision, computer science, who could be cu- literally curing cancer, like doing computer vision models or doing drug discovery models uh, or creating, you know, the, the next um, you know device used on an ambulance to save people. And instead of doing that hard work, they're going to optimize the percentage of clicks to an ad for some racist Russian paid for anti-Hillary Clinton ad. Like literally that's what you're doing with your life. Really? You got a graduate degree from Stanford or Harvard or MIT, and you're going to work at Facebook optimizing the ad network. Really?
2: I mean, it's, well, pathetic. Jason, I mean, this is why, um, you know, we've been able to grow like this. Uh, it, we moved uh, our company to Austin in Jan, 2019. Hmm. And I've recruited out of IBM, Apple, like all the all the big guys in Austin. And that was largely because we have a mission-driven business, right? When your mission no. is, I want to reduce response signs for all and improve situational awareness for first responders. It's not, I want to make sure that your eyes never leave, you know, the, the little black mirror in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's all a right. very different when mission. When we get
1: back from this quick break, uh, I want to talk about how you... Measure uh, the 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 decrease in response time and and what that means in terms of people's lives when we get back on this week's startups. One of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and providers to use. You want to pick the best solution for each department to help your employees succeed because they deserve the best. You want them to do well, but there are so many functions in a startup, and each space. As endless vendors. You got sales tools over here, marketing tools, email tools, accounting, HR, payroll, project management, of course, customer support, the point of sale, e-commerce, it goes on and on. There are so many different pieces that you end up with a Frankenstein of tools, the Frankenstack, in fact, of tools that cost a lot and they don't integrate properly. Well, Odoo is here to change that, O-D-O-O. Odoo is a fully customizable and a fully integrated suite of software products that allow you to build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. It's simple and modular so you use what you need and all their apps integrate perfectly with each other. Plus it's open source so you can spend that freshly raised capital on talent instead of expensive software. So here is your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. Go to odoo.com slash twist to check it out. That's O-D-O-O com slash T-W-I-S-T to get your $1,000 in credit right now. Welcome back to the rising stars of SaaS. Brought to you by our partners. Thanks to our partners. Uh, you heard me read their ads. If you heard me read their ads, they're probably SaaS companies, and they're probably worthy of you typing in that special slash twist or whatever it is URL and using their product. Seriously, if you're a fan of the show, go 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 visit those URLs and let them know if you buy the product that your Uncle Jason sent you from this week in startups. It really, it's really amazing. I mean, we've we've sold out this podcast now for the last five or six years, um, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's great to have the support of all these sponsors to be able to tell these stories two, three, four days a week sometimes. Um, and today's story is no difference. Rapid Deploy is the name of Steve's company. And you can go visit them at rapiddeploy.com, R-A-P-I-D-D-E-P-L-O-Y.com. Based in Austin, uh, as you just mentioned, you're a South African. The company was founded in South Africa. Your co-founder right. who built it, uh, who's, a, who's a tech whiz. Um, and you chose to m- place it in Austin, back in 2016 2017 time period is that correct
2: uh well I, I decided in 2017 when i went to austin for the first time i was like if we ever raise our series a and we ever g- get serious about america this is where we're going to be and, uh, uh, and
1: wh- I was- why i mean most people would say coming from south africa hey elon uh, went to palo alto david Sachs went to palo alto they all wound up in the bay area you chose austin why
2: I mean, the city, uh, the heartbeat of the city resonated with me. I've seen America. I've lived here before. Um, and Austin, it was my first journey to Austin. And I think the combination of the energy of the city, the can-do business attitude, the, the amount of um, talent specifically around customer success and uh, and SaaS enterprise businesses was pretty phenomenal. And I wouldn't be competing uh, for salaries, uh, you know, with the salary scale um of the bay area which is notorious yeah uh, texas is also a huge public safety uh state and it's also uh it, it's also the base of our biggest distributor and reseller which is at&t so ah. a lot of a lot of good reasons to be in the state of good state of texas
1: and what is it like for you on a, on a cultural basis as a south african it mm-hmm. i i do see that my south african friends uh are a bit I, I think the reason I, I I vibe and get along with a lot of South Africans is they're a they're a bit um rough and tumble, perhaps is the word. A bit <laughs> um uh self-reliant comes to mind. A bit of an edge there. Uh am I accurate? It's also why I think I vibe with Australians. I mean, mm. no offense to people from London, but I'm not saying people from the UK are meek when compared to South Africans and Australians, but the Africans and so- uh, Australians seem a lot like Texans to me or people from Brooklyn, I'll be honest.
2: Right, yeah. A little, bit, yeah, a little like bit of a tough very, edge there. We've got, a, I think, a tough edge, a very, very strong work ethic. In fact, when I moved to London in the 90s, people were recruiting specifically for South African and Australians yeah. because we were known to outwork anyone else uh, yeah. in, in London back in the, um, in the mid-90s. Um, and also, I mean, it, Texas has got a very similar culture, South Africa, right? It's focused around outdoor living, uh, good living, right? Mm-hmm. Beer, barbecue, water sports.
1: The barbecue is pretty much the beginning and the end for me. I mean, let's just get to it. Franklin's brisket or La Barbecue? Franklin's. You, got, you go Franklin's. Really? I go Franklin's
2: if you can tolerate the line. <laughs> so that's I a- go
1: La Barbecue. I get there at <laughs> 10.30. Yeah. What my boy Brian Alvey, like when we go to south when we go to south by southwest we literally yeah. don't go to the conference <laughs> we go we go to the barbecue at 10:30 cuz i think they open at 10:30 11 or and we're the first people there there's like six or seven people and what you do is you have an early dinner and then we work out at night or something uh and then we uh or we work out in the morning and then we go right there and we have we skip breakfast we have brunch oh my lord the beef ribs there just tremendous just tremendous i mean i think that's it's it's definitely on my uh top 10 lists of places to live after uh the bay area if if california does fall off into the sea that's definitely austin just seemed to be on my short list right now and it's it's been growing four percent a year and even though a lot of people talk about it getting crowded it's still not crowded
2: no. I mean, the, the, I think the version of traffic in Austin and the version of traffic, I mean, I spent almost 20 years living in London. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: just, <laughs> it's not comparable.
2: Right. So people talk about traffic, like, yeah, right. Yeah. So, Were you
1: one of those bankers who had the congestion pricing, um, you know, like easy pass uh, on your car and you drove into yeah. the,
2: the district? Yeah, the congestion charge was, you know, they hit you for $20 a day to drive into, the, into work.
1: I mean, it's just unbelievable. Just so people around the world understand this, and they were going to bring it to Manhattan, and New Yorkers didn't want to have anything of it. Bloomberg was trying to, I think, get this through, because if you're a billionaire, who cares about an incremental 20 bucks a day? Uh, And I'm hearing Washington, D.C. has one. But if you go into the central corridor in London, you get hit with a 20 pound or
2: a $20? I mean, back in the day, it was roughly equated to about $20 a day. But, so you still had to
1: park for $40 a day or yeah. have a parking space for $500 a day at your banking office and you would drive from Notting Hill or Surrey. I don't know. Where were you in London?
2: Yeah, I was in Queens Park near Notting Hill. But I mean, look, so the you, first drive two for months, have, you drive 45 minutes, 10 miles and then pay
1: $60 for the privilege.
2: Yeah, but it's like anything in a major city. You know, the first two months the traffic dropped off, and then everybody said, "Okay, now I've now got an extra three thousand dollar a year tax, and you just eat it, and you, you yes. life is as normal, right?" So yeah. it's pretty it crazy really- when you think
1: about it, though. What a what a great incentive, though. I really think that's like one of the missing pieces here with global warming is not incentivizing people properly. Because that when they did that twenty dollar thing, it did reduce congestion, or no? For about three months, and then everybody <laughs> yeah. just. All right. So at least the they city, made it. At least uh, the city made enough money to put more money into public transport or something. Yeah. Um, when uh, we look at the system and we look at time, the time to get to a location needs to be compressed. Putting aside uh, rapid deploy and your fine company and building a SaaS based solution, which is so obvious. I um, mean, congratulations on the success. I know you guys have have really um, hit like some really big clients the industry when you go to industry conferences and they talk about the time what is the in you know a city a suburb the footprint of time and then how do they compress that time because it would seem through ai and machine learning and having this data which has been let's face it i believe all of the analysis is done by universities or people collecting information about emergency services and then writing some research report 5 years later but given what you know you could say on Saturdays or the first Tuesdays of every month or these time periods, 7 to 9 p.m. For From 9 to 10.30, we have all these emergencies. And it's like, we, we don't know why. And it's like, oh, that correlates with the football game or the basketball game and everybody getting out and getting drunk and falling over and cracking their skull. You could literally smartly deploy the way Uber does um, the placement of assets, i.e. ambulances, Police cars, et cetera. Are we up to that point where we're intelligently placing the assets because something like a heart attack, the the difference in minutes or an, an acute asthma attack, which is really that was always the scary one for us. When we heard somebody was having an allergic reaction to a bee sting or an asthma attack, man, that was scary because the clock is ticking on a heart attack, but the clock on somebody who's having an asthma attack, I mean, they're just gonna no air, no life, period. I mean, end of story. Um and so, talk about so, that.
2: So, we've, we've had case studies done in South Africa where we've been operating for much longer. And to have an empirical case study, we want like a lot of data, right? Um, and in South Africa, with our customers, we've reduced their response time by over 35%, which is massive, right? So,
1: 35%. So, you took a 15 minute response time to 10 or a 10 to six or seven. Something like that, yeah. And, and that's that extraordinary. Is, and what, wait, what is that based on? When you break that down, how does that occur, that reduction?
2: There's, uh, you know, there's a number of things you can do. All these tiny incremental changes which add up to something big, right? So whether you're embedding turn-by-turn navigation directly within their um, their terminal or their smartphone, we operate on like Samsung and iOS, uh, no problem. So it's not just, you know, it doesn't have to be a laptop, right? We wanted to solve for the lowest common denominator. And be able to actually con- let the machine control everything about that location—no human error. You spoke about, you know, writing things in a pen and paper. I mean, that's why Brett, my you know, co-founder, got the original idea for this platform. He was a paramedic volunteer in Cape Town, and like writing post-it notes for the dispatch address, and then trying to you know, open his phone and type it in. And this is pretty much the most common thing. If you go to any major center around America, and you go hang out with the fire trucks. You'll see that most of the guys, if they're running older technology, which most of them are, they probably are using their personal cell phone to type in the details and get routing on their personal cell to get to see.
1: Unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Most of the, like most of the legacy systems that are in place today in America and in responding agencies have um, as the crow flies navigation. So they literally say, oh, you're only 10 minutes away from, you know, the, oh let's say mind. Houston to, to Midtown, right? Because it's just drawing a straight line as opposed to, you know, calculating live traffic. So we pull in like live traffic ETAs, you know, offer different routes, offer all the kind of things. Again, the consumer, most consumers have more tech in their hands than the people that are sent out to save their lives. And that is, that's nuts. So um, that's what we're trying to fix.
1: Yeah, it does seem like we did not place the headquarters of um, EMS and fire departments intelligently, they are legacy based, especially in an old city. So if you're in London town, or you're in New York, uh, or Italy, and somewhere in Rome, you know, the fire department may have been situated a 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, and has not moved since. And the density could be completely different, what really has to occur. And at, this has not occurred yet. And this is another one of my ideas that I'm, uh, I, I want to give to you so you can bring them up at your next conference. Certainly, somebody must have thought about this, but micro um, EMS locations, Uh, And a a more distributed approach would certainly work. this happens now. This happens now.
2: Yeah, you get staging locations, right? So you know, on your Saturday night, my um, agency needs to have ambulances distributed around the city in case they get called. The same way you see tow truck operators always hang around those on ramps where they know there's going to be an accident. They're
1: doing that in a non-scientific way. They're doing it based upon intuition and like, hey, yeah, you know, I've been at this for a while. We should have somebody here. They're so, not doing that strategically with your software yet, in the, in the, and in real uh, time.
2: Well, I'll say that there are, again, this is the problem with um, with public safety technology that we discovered. We thought we are solving an African problem. It turns out it's a worldwide problem, but like incredibly prevalent in, in the United States, is that there are um, custom systems to solve some of these issues, but none of the systems are really well integrated into each other. And this is a function not only of like legacy, let's say, analog tech, but it's also a function of the um, the old school business model is about charging for every integration, right? Because if you're an old school legacy Ugh. software provider, you know you're dropping all your stuff on prem, and then everything is like a custom integration work. Whereas if we run one code base for the whole of America or globally, every time I do an integration, every one of my customers. Can use it. So there's no need to charge for integrations, which is the game changer. We think how many systems need to um, interoperate in public safety.
1: And, and there shouldn't be a charge for that. There, this is where the incentives do matter. Yeah. H- how much cheaper is your system than the legacy ones? We, we didn't get to that question, but since this is the, you know, for SaaS entrepreneurs, this series, how did you determine your pricing? And then how does it look versus the legacy competitors just on a yearly basis or over yeah. a decade?
2: I mean, the total cost of ownership over a five-year contract is roughly 50% ownership.
1: Wow. In other yeah. words, they could have it for 10 years for the price of five.
2: Yeah. Send and not only that, that, what we can't obviously uh, model out, and obviously I've modeled, um, the beauty of, of being in public safety is all your competitors' pricing are available to uh, freedom yeah. of information request, requests. So I can see every response. Oh, well, that's kind of
1: good when you're developing a pricing strategy, you can just completely right. undercut them.
2: Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's not It's not just designed to undercut. It's designed to actually be efficient and leverage the same funding mechanism that my customers are using to get paid, you know, to be able to pay for their software. Right. Um, and, and then the, the as new technology filters into the system, whereas my competitors would think that's a services business and charging for that, you know, we believe that business shouldn't exist. Uh, we believe that data should be free, especially when it comes down to the monetization, the, 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 you know, not monetizing. Um, the imp- the incremental improvements we can add by connecting all these pieces.
1: This is really the power of SaaS. I explain this to everybody when, you know, I do the Squarespace ad for this podcast is I- I've watched Squarespace. They've been an advertiser on this podcast, I think for six or seven of the 10 years. M- it, may- it might be the longest continuous sponsor of the podcast. Uh, and definitely in the top three or four in terms of the, the amount of support. They started, They d- they were the beautiful website company. Then they added... Blogging and they were the beautiful website company that had blogging. And so, okay, that was like, okay, well, there was WordPress over here, and Squarespace added like the blogging component. Well, then they added the e commerce component, and then they added SEO and analytics. So it's like, oh, you could get Google Analytics, you could get a blogging piece of software, you could get an e commerce platform, or you could just get Squarespace. It has all of them, and the price stayed the same. So when you buy into, and the same with Slack right now, like Slack, you can just buy Slack once and it just gets better and better. You don't charge for every new feature. You add those new features as a way to getting people addicted. The same thing is happening in Tesla's. I don't know. Do you ha- I'm assuming you drive a Tesla. Yeah. Which one? You have the Model, model S. M-
2: model Three. I'm not. You a big, the i I'm not a big hitter like you. I my, mean, you just got a Y. I know. So um, yeah.
1: I, I I just traded my three in for the Y. How amazing is the Y?
2: I mean, I I'd, um, I think my wife would kill me if I just swapped cars. I just <laughs> I'm just. It best. is interesting.
1: Like I I was <laughs> anyway. I was talking to a friend about this and. Yeah. I was just saying how much better I thought the Y was than the 3. And my friend was like, no, no, the 3 is a really great car. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like the Y just feels even better. It feels like 20% better to me. I, I, the 3 is an amazing car. But if you, if any friend of mine said, should I pick the 3 or the Y? I would say the Y because it's so cavernous. It's like gigantic yeah. inside. When you're in the back seat, you could like, I could put suitcases under my kid's feet. And they would never touch them. Like It's gigantic how big it is inside.
2: Yeah, I've only seen it, um, I saw it uh, when I was uh, traveling across America recently, and I mean, it looks good. You drove your three across America? No, 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 I drove an RV across America, Ah. but um, I- Oh, how um, nice. What an experience. Yeah, it was good for the kids uh, and the wife to see America. But um, the yeah, I think the the test is I had a friend of mine who had an X and a three, and I was looking at the X when I was moving to America, and he said- um, And the the friend of mine, he has a McLaren, (laughs) an X, and a 3. And he's like, the 3 is the best car I've ever Mm -hmm. owned. And I used to be- It's true. It is true. And I used to be, again, a fancy investment back in the day, and collected cars and all all that other nonsense that comes with it. Were you a
1: Ferrari guy, or were you more of like a Bentley Maserati guy? Uh, You can be honest.
2: Um, I prefer the those Maserati. Three, which I, ones have you owned? <laughs> I've, I had. A, I've owned a Maserati.
1: Yeah, feels like a Maserati guy to me. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> and, but but the point is, the three is the best car I've ever. It's owned.
1: better than a Maserati. I mean, it literally drives incredible. Yeah. It's it it is such a wonderful car. But I don't know if you've had this experience where all of a sudden you looked at the Sentry Mode and they're like, oh, by the way, the Sentry Mode now. Oh, we have an in dash viewer. And it's essentially like I bought the Al camera to put on my dashboard of my minivan to have like security and to know where that car was all the time. And it's like, oh, Tesla just built in a dash cam. You don't have to buy a dash cam. It comes with a dash cam. You're done. Not only does it come with a dash cam, it comes with four dash cams. Because it's recording the front, the back, and the two right. sides.
2: But the point of that is, relating this back to SAS. Yeah. Is, it's, it's a SaaS product, yeah. Right. But there was somebody, I think somebody tweeted Elon going, when I honk, why doesn't your camera record? And and he was like, that's a great idea, right? And then it's in the next release. And that's yes. pretty much how we're doing 911. It's the same honk way, right? The word.
1: Yes. If domestic violence, send SMS to save lives. So brilliant. Yeah. Such a brilliant little... Uh, genius move. I, I just had the founder of um, the app. Um, uh, what's the app that has all the 911 calls in it? Oh, God. Citizen. Thank you, producer Nick. <laughs> Citizen on the phone. Citizen now when there isn't, they've taken the consumer um, aggregated uh, video streams, etc. And uh, many I understand police officers are having citizen on their phone but they're they they don't have like an offering for the sergeant's front desk. Uh I it seems to me that that's going to be the ultimate future is when five citizens are taking a video of something. Have you talked to the citizen folks about putting a feed of citizen and correlating that with 911 calls?
2: Um I not not directly. I can introduce um,
1: you to the founder. I mean, I think that this is the most important thing you could do with your product is if a 911 call comes in on Main Street and, you know, on Market and Sixth, which is where the WeWork I used to work out of, I didn't pick that. One of my employees picked it for some god awful reason. But I mean, it's literally like the corner of, um, you know, like I think they're safer corner. It's It probably would be in the top 10 most dangerous corners in the world. <laughs> but Turk and, <laughs> Turk and Golden Gate, like literally one of the most dangerous places on the planet, like downtown Baghdad, probably safer at this point. Like (laughs) most intersections in Afghanistan are safer. Um, This is like one of the most dangerous places in the world. And if somebody pops up a video from Citizen and then I -hmm. called from the same location, it would be amazing if in the dashboard, the dispatcher saw Citizen calls within one block of this and then could click on them and open them in a second
2: monitor. And you must remember, so what we've tried to do here is no matter how um, uh, how popular an app is, mm. right, you're actually changing user behavior. So we've seen this, we've seen like, uh, you know, there's been all kinds of reactions to panic button apps over the years, as, uh, you know, especially in, in places like the United States where 911 is a very developed system. Mm. And so if you think about the way we try to interact with the caller and ingest the, the real-time video, and pull in the location of their device. We're trying to do all of this without them changing their programmed user behavior of like, mm. you know, X many years, right? Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree that, um, citizen based, um, uh, information is, is valuable. Um, but there's also, we're coming to this interesting place within public safety right now where we have myriad signals coming into a 911 center you know we've just announced we're going to be visualizing onstar crash telematics in 911 you know that's going to Ooh. be coming up in the OnStar not too distant being like
1: the dash cam so if an so, onstar so, goes off you would turn the dash camera on so you could see so what if, happened if
2: gm if gm's onstar division sends a call to 911 all the telematics data around that would be available for the for the Communicator. So you can imagine, you know, seat belts deployed versus, you know, um, pressure sensors. Oh, the front, right hand side passenger wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but there's someone in the car and it had wow. a, you know, 3G impact and rolled twice. We'll know that. Right. And then it's how you take that information, put that through a model, understand what kind of response you need. So um this, you know, car at a forty mile an hour, three G impact, send two ambulances and a jaws of life, you know. That's where you start pulling all these myriad signals
1: together. That's gonna be a game changer. Because think about that. Now you've sent the right tools to the right place. That is one right. of the big faults in the system is you send the wrong tool to the wrong place. I mean the 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 big unlock for the for the for um lowering fatality rates has been the dual dispatching of the fire department and ems to heart attacks and having all firefighters do that and that was like this big controversy and turf war in and of itself Uh, but this is a great one hey yeah this is this is a major impact accident send the jaws of life but are you are you saying you might think the citizen data is not clean or it's too much uh or that maybe the 9-11 9-11 system doesn't want that kind of citizen participation. I, I was, I heard a little bit of a, kind of an undertone there.
2: Um, I mean, I, I watched that podcast and it sounds okay, like they, they're trying to replace 9 one So I'm not sure if there's a strategic move not to in- interact with 9 one Um with would you I'm agree obviously- with that premise that like
1: the that citizens should be re- there should be like more citizen community people responding? Because I agree the citizen folks are definitely on that, you know, very, very controversial. Um, let's send these Jedi Knights. Let's send these folks from the community to deal with an emergency based on what you know. Do you think that's a smart idea?
2: Um, I think vigil- vigilantism is a huge problem. Like it huh. really is, and I've seen it everywhere. And I think, I don't know where you draw the line. I don't know if, right, where, from, a, from a, a corporate liability point of view, other than having a EULA that someone just clicked on and you, you're ob, you know, all those risks are obviated. I don't know how you really get past that um, as, a, as a private company, right? I remember in South Africa, there were a huge amount of panic button uh, manufacturers who tried try to create a, you know, an iPhone app or an Android app for a panic button for a private security company. And I would just say the, uh, to the private security company: So when you don't have a god to respond, like who's um, who's culpable, and it's like, oh well, then we just don't have a god. <laughs> it's like, well, the person who you've now trained to hit your panic button, you know, yeah. wants to know that you have an SLA, right? That someone's coming. And the beauty of public safety is, you know, that the the government system is put there in place. It is your safety net, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Whether you agree with you know, the the. the public safety at large, like those are the people are going to save your life, and they they don't have a choice whether they're on a break or didn't come to work. I mean, people will arrive, and that's, I think, uh, I think that's uh, really maybe not very well thought out in the long-term plan there because, you know, you come from a family of service. The same thing that hit me with the first time I went to that volunteer meeting is something that I experience every, like every time I go see a customer. I'm so overwhelmed by the people that work in these centers and in these responding agencies have literally like, decided that the mission is greater than the personal gain, right? right. they putting themselves at risk, listening to the worst day of everyone's life on a phone for a 12-hour shift. Yeah. Whatever kind of job there is within the public safety universe, that's 911 call, take EMS, you know, fire, police, and in, in other kind of areas. All of those people are like, are, are saying the job is before me and, and quite often before their family, right? Yeah. You know, when they're rolling, they're not thinking of their family. They're thinking of how they're going to do their no, job. No, you,
1: you really can't. I mean, that was the thing, you know, like i I was counseled on was, listen, it's okay to have these emotions about the calls. That's human you got to be able to do the job. Yeah. So when we show up to that car accident and you see people hanging upside down in their seatbelts and there's a kid in the child seat hanging upside down like yeah it's it's really scary. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's really disturbing. You you got to get that kid out of that seat, you got to get them out of the car before it lights on fire or whatever could happen like. And so there is definitely a naivete I think to the let's have a bunch of citizens Rush to and maybe I should have brought that up with the with the founder a little bit more but there there is definitely an inherent danger to people showing up at an emergency situation and escalating it as you're saying there could be vigilantism, there could be group think, which is you know mob mentality can get very out of hand very quickly and yeah these situations uh are pretty i mean I think you guys have a term for it, which is situational awareness um and we uh, were trained when we were on the ambulance like. You have to be safe first. So when you get into that situation, first, make sure you're safe. If there is a gun involved or, you know, you're being called to somebody being stabbed and the person with the knife is still there, you need to stay back and wait for the police to arrive and get that person with the knife or the gun out of there. You can't, we can't have an ambulance, an ambulance crew get shot or stabbed next.
2: Right. So this is kind of the point, right? So in that other conversation, um, I remember them saying, we, we don't broadcast suicide or domestic violence calls. But so that's okay. So they can broadcast so bank robbery in progress, right? <laughs> You've got 20 people on bicycles trying to stop a guy with an, an assault rifle. I don't know. It just doesn't sound doesn't yeah. sound like I'd want my kids, you know, uh, responding. I,
1: so, yeah, there definitely needs to be some thought about this because as you said before, there's a lot of Freedom of Information Act information here. But when you add real time to it, yeah. you know, in the review mirror to know that there were, you know, it's a bank robbery is one thing or even an hour later. But to know that, I mean, in some case, and in all cases, citizens are going to arrive before the emergency workers. We used to have these people, I, I think they called them squids uh, when I was in New York. It was a derogatory term of them because they just would sit there. But there were people who had radios mm-hmm. who would, overnight, they'd be just drinking coffee. So it was almost like this weird, like, Proud Boys, kind of like people's milit- militias. They would drive Crown Vicks that they had bought in um auctions like old police cars yeah. they would drive them to police scenes and just sit there and drink coffee and they were like who are you and nobody i'm just wanted to take some pictures and be here and be par- get that rush of going to an emergency situation and they i would always say I'm like who's that guy is that I, it's unmarked is that like an unmarked nypd or is that like some other agency and no no that's just a squid I was, was a, I was asking why would they do this, and they were like, "Yeah, these are mentally disturbed people." Was the feeling these are mentally disturbed people who wanted to just go to exciting scenes because they had nothing well, else going on in their lives.
2: If, if we if we maybe pivot a little bit and just and think about like situational awareness in today, you know, today and twenty or ten even five years ago was very different, right? Like mm. now, you have live traffic, traffic, you have hyper local weather. You have CCTV over every city yeah. uh, that you can, as a law enforcement agency, be able to tap into a large part of that. Um, I'm not saying you need to run AI across that because I know that's hugely controversial um, with a bunch of AI bias and things like that. But just even eyes on, like, what are my six nearest CCTV, cam- CCTV cameras near the site? The same way you want to know what are your six nearest fire hydrants and what kind of traffic am I rolling into? What's the best way to route me, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, and in fairness to yep. in fairness to citizen, they do tell you th- the point of the app is also for you to avoid it. So there is that for for every idiot who runs to an emergency situation, there's 999 people who run the other direction. So I think net net, they probably are keeping people safer. But I want to touch on that CCTV thing. You came from London, where you have the highest percentage of CCTV in the Western world. It, it might even be higher than the penetration in authoritarian countries. To be honest. Um, uh and you know citizen does say like avoid this area like right now so i think they're they're trying to get ahead of that but it seems to me we have we have crazy left cities in america i i live in near one of them san francisco or or in the area surrounding area where they literally need cctv more than anybody they need facial recognition more than anybody and they've literally preemptively banned it they tried to pass a bill and i think it uh producer Nick will look it up while we're talking um they they i think they preemptively a couple of cities and they are like far left crazy cities like uh that are poorly run with incredible crime um they are preemptively banning cctv as somebody who works in this field and who lived in the hub of it pretty great to have a camera everywhere in a major city that was previously filled with crime correct you're, you've got to be 100% for CCTV, in, personally.
2: Um, personally, I am. And I think. Um, Are you for AI band- facial recognition so, as well? So, and th- this is interesting, right? This is, where the, this is where it gets muddy, right? Because uh-huh. AI can detect a long gun. It can detect a hand a handgun drawn, it can detect a car accident, it can do all these kinds of wonderful things. Sure. And there's some things that AI isn't good at. And you know, Jason, the way that you train AI, you showed like, you know, millions of pictures ago, this is what you're looking at. Yeah. Right. So, is AI good enough at differentiating, uh, you know, different races of people and actually identifying a subject? And this is, I think, where it comes down to: is that AI still, um, when it comes to diversity, has not tackled the diversity issue? And I suspect that's probably what is the main driver mm. of of um, of gating AI out of you know, a city like San Francisco. I mean. I I am not I'm not a law enforcement guy I'm like a public safety guy like I want the best outcome for for the citizen and the first responder and the 911 call taker like I want everybody to have a great outcome um would I if I was running a city just outright ban a technology because it wasn't there yet no I would put it through trials and make them get hurdles yeah that
1: seems logical yeah, yeah, like this ban seems to me to be virtual signaling San Francisco here it is from the New York Times San Francisco long at the heart of technological revolution took a stand against potential abuse on Tuesday by banning the use of facial recognition software by the police and other agencies the action which came in an eight to one vote by the insane board of supervisors I put the word insane there myself makes San Francisco the first major American city to block a tool that many police forces are turning to in search for both small time crime suspects and perpetrators of mass Carnage banned in 2019 I mean, seems to I, me I can help you yeah. follow
2: a car across the city You can do all kinds of very interesting things.
1: Yeah, it seems to me so. like if you do think that the facial recognition could be deployed and be biased in some way, that would be a, yep. any reasonable person would be concerned about that A 100 people would be concerned about that. So very simple. In cases of uses for facial recognition, you need to have a supervisor has to run it, there is an audit trail. Um, and if you want to use it on, um, for some police thing, you have to get a uh, warrant and you go to a judge, very simple. But the fact is, you know, it, and, and another way I think that this should be deployed is if the crime rate in a city is, uh, a b- below a certain percentage, maybe you, um, the technology is not widely available. If the, if there is an acute situation, i.e., murder rate is above this percentage, crime rate is above this percentage or in this neighborhood, maybe, uh, when the, when the crime, maybe not by neighborhood, that could be also biased. I'm thinking it's throughout loud, but it maybe if the crime rate in an overall city was high, then you could deploy the technology, you know, at more scale, but man, it would be amazing if you could actually not just track the car that did the bank robbery, but if somebody beats somebody up and you have that on tape and you're able to reasonably try to identify that person or some kid was kidnapped. I mean, these people are crazy. If a child was kidnapped, if one of their children was kidnapped, their position on this would change immediately.
2: Yeah, I mean, Immediately. Look,
1: again, I, they I, yeah. have no... This is virtue signaling at its goddamn worst. If one of their children, God forbid, was kidnapped, they would be 100% of this existing for all time in all cities.
2: L- Hypocrites. Let's, refra- Let's frame it like this, that um, I want... Um, as as a um uh, as a person living in the United States uh, or anywhere that I want my kids to be safe and you know God forbid anything should happen i would like would like everyone to have the best tools at their disposal, but on the other side, I understand how um how there's been a knee-jerk reaction to this technology. And actually, I think it's incumbent upon um, the, the companies that, that build this technology, and I'm talking about it, we go all the way up to sort of Microsoft Cognitive Services and you know, AWS on their side who have snap-in tools that do a whole bunch of these analytics. That's for, for these large companies to actually work through these issues with an AI ethics board to actually define what a good um, algorithm is for using and i'm gonna say algorithm like decision tree for using this technology yeah um and I, look i am um, as, uh, as someone who has been advocating i don't have told you this jason but when i came to america in june 2017 with rapid deploy for the first time at the first conference i had most of the biggest names in the industry i'm talking about you know vendors come up to my one-man booth and tell me to go back to africa because we oh. don't do not do one in the cloud like verbatim, right? So, Wow, um, go back to I mean, Africa. <laughs> literally, that was the quote, and- um, Could have been a much more career ending quote if you were from South Africa.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but that's an insane quote to say to anybody.
2: <laughs> I had that said to me by a salesman t- of one of the biggest uh, companies in America wow. in my space. <laughs> People are insane. People right, are but, insane. But, but what you can take it for out of Just putting that in is- the cloud. The cloud is the power of this. Well, this is this is what I'm trying, trying to get to here. I mean, they are still today, and you spoke about RFPs, and we are talking about SaaS, and you're talking about like flipping to enterprise not consumer. So, for the benefit of the audience who isn't consumer tech, an RFP is is a is a recu- is a procurement process. Request right? a re- for a proposal. Re- there we go. Yeah. And and within this, this is how most business is done today um, within government space, certainly enterprise space as well for large procurements. And Even today, like, uh, you know, not far from where I live is a large agency who just put out an RFP saying must be on premise. (laughs) Right? crazy and and so you will always have um an agency or or, or any kind of uh, political body maybe who doesn't advocate for the technology that you have and that's you know that's the beauty of a democracy and uh, we i'm not advocating for it being mandated to cloud-based solutions because you want happy customers you don't want people forced to buy your technology that i want your technology yeah i mean we the price to, and yeah. the
1: feature set are going to be the thing that win it for you uh over time but i mean if you think about the security of on-prem the Because you're going to have so many people on the cloud, you will have such vigilance across one set of servers that having 100 servers or 1,000 servers around the country, they're just not going to have the vigilance on every server to keep them all up to date, to keep them all monitored. These oh, cool. servers get put in a closet. Nobody looks at them for four years. They never get updated. And by the way, somebody could walk into the goddamn closet and take the goddamn server. Like, literally, you're not, you don't even know where Amazon Web Services is. And to get into Amazon Web Services, it would be harder to get into an Amazon Web Services cloud location and steal a rack. To even find it would be impossible. But to steal that rack would be harder than to break into a fire department, ambulance department, or city building, or even a police department with guns. It would be harder to get into the Amazon Web Services.
2: Right. So you think about cyber, right? So yeah. you're about like that. So we use as Microsoft Azure Gov, yeah. which it literally cages their data center yes. inside a cage, right? So yeah. I mean, and then there's uh, and then everybody who's access there is C just approved, fingerprinted, like criminal justice, FBI you do a kind background of check, background to the whole shooting match. Yeah, who's cleaning right.
1: the garbages in the local police precinct? You can be well, fairly certain it's going to be like a random person who has not. Let, had a let's check. let's
2: give the benefit of the doubt and assume this is actually in a secure back room in, in yeah. a, within a police department or nine on one center. Even then, the argument remains: Who has more budget to defend your 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 threat vectors? Yeah. Um, you and your guy with the machine under the stairs, or Microsoft in their two billion dollar a year, you know, cyber program it's with like, a lot more at stake.
1: By the way, the bad press for Azure, yeah. if or Amazon Web Services or Rackspace yeah. or IBM's cloud, whoever's cloud it is, the the, the bad press makes it uh, for for a hack of a nine one one system would put them on mega to have, you know, unlimited resources on that because it's the tip of the spear for them. Um, listen, I wish you uh, continued success. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and with your candidness during this program. And it's just great to know um, that there are people out there building software like this that will save us tech will save us. That's the hashtag I want you to put on this podcast. Hashtag tech will save us. I know it's unpopular. I know everybody thinks tech will not save us. I believe that capitalists and entrepreneurs, especially our brothers and sisters from Australia and South Africa, those hardcore Brooklyn-style entrepreneurs who are just going to win at all costs. They're not going to fail. They're going to succeed in the mission. They got that grit like you do. Um, It's fantastic. It's great for America and the planet um, that American entrepreneurialism um, and this platform win right and you need to win um and and it's a noble mission and you have uh a very personal connection to it so again condolences on your brother but i'm sure he's looking down at the work you're doing and the amount of life extension that will occur because of what you've done and the hard work you put into this sincerely um his legacy will be you know a thousand or ten thousand of his lives saved um because of your motivation so in that way um, I think it's uh, you know just beautiful for you to be doing this on behalf of your brother's legacy.
2: Thank you. I mean that's I mean I, I know that we're out of time here, but I mean that's when I first saw the system, even in its infancy, we had processed fifteen thousand incidents, and if one percent of one percent had saved lives, I was like, oh my god, if we can scale this, this is what I want to devote my life to. So yeah, you hit the you hit the nail on the head. Very observant.
1: If you are uh, if you are, and I appreciate you talking about it. it's a hard thing to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, if you are looking for a job and you want to live in a great city that's functional and uh, has a pro-entrepreneurism and capitalism bent, here's a free commercial for the people of Austin. You didn't ask for it, but Austin seems to be a kick-ass place to build a company as opposed to the Bay Area and San Francisco specifically, which is doing everything it can, this horrible, horrible leadership, both in California and specifically acutely in San Francisco, you guys are, and gals are a disaster. You should be ashamed at yourself. And You're driving some of the great founders out of this amazing state. California, the best state in the union, and you're destroying it. How do you sleep at night, government officials? You're just literally driving everybody out of this great state uh, with your ineptitude and ridiculous policies. But congratulations, Austin, on winning <laughs> the most, <laughs> the greatest test, and also Colorado. And Arizona and Florida and Nashville. Congratulations on being. The views
2: expressed in this podcast are not
1: mine. <laughs> <laughs> These are my <laughs> views, yes. Your views are your views. My views are my views. And we'll see you all next time on this week at Startups. All if right. you need a job, go work in Austin at Rapid Deploy and do Correct. something meaningful with your life. Quit Google. Quit working at Facebook, specifically Facebook. I mean, seriously, if you're working there, get your head examined. If you're smart and you're working at Facebook, seriously, how do you sleep at night? Go work at RapidDeploy.com. All right, thanks, Steve, and uh, look Cheers. forward to getting some barbecue with you at La Barbecue or Franklin's. Frankly, I think, frankly, we should go to Franklin's and La Barbecue. We should do, a we do it day We get, it. we go, we do two brisket. Boom, we do a brisket run. Breakfast brisket, lunch brisket. We'll deal with the lines, and we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll live stream it. All right, we'll settle it. Yeah, we'll set. It. Okay, Stephen. Thank you so Cheers, much. Guys. We'll see you all next time on the swing service. Bye-bye.